Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast series called Catching the Last Wave. I'm Julia Fabris and I will be your host today. Our guest for today's episode is Dr. Volker Boge. Dr. Boge is the Todapis Institute Senior Research Fellow for Climate Change and Conflict. He has worked extensively in the areas of peace building and resilience in the Pacific region and he is also the director of the Peace and Conflict Studies Institute in Australia. Dr. Boge is the Honorary Research Fellow at the School of Political Science and International Study of the University of Queensland and a Research Associate at the Bonn International Centre for Conversion. Dr. Boge is also a Research Associate at the Institute for Peace Research and Security Policy at the University of Hamburg. In the past, he has been, among other things, research fellow at the Unit for the Study of Wars, Armaments and Development of the University of Hamburg, where he conducted research projects on environment and conflicts, conflicts in the South Pacific and European security policies. Finally, Dr. Boge has also been a research officer with the parliamentary group of, of the Green Party in the German Parliament in Bonn as a peace and security policy advisor. We are thrilled to have an important expert such as Dr. Boge on our podcast and we are looking forward to explore with him climate security, peace building, resilience and climate action in the Pacific. Welcome Dr. Boge. Thank you Volker for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you as part of our podcast. Please let me start with an introductory question. It would be great for our audience to learn more about your work on climate change, is building an action to mitigate climate-related security risk at the Todapis Institute. Can you give us a quick overview of the initiatives you are working on at the moment? Thank you, Julio. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. So the Toda Peace Institute started working in work stream of climate change, conflict, peace and security in the Pacific in 2018. And our idea was to bring together researchers, policymakers, practitioners to discuss the challenges of climate change for peace and security in the Pacific, building bridges between civil society, local communities, governments, regional organizations, and external actors, for instance, researchers from outside of, of the region. And when we started in 2018, the Pacific was underrepresented in the international discourse on climate security. And so our aim was to bring Pacific issues to international attention on the one hand and feeding the international discourse into the Pacific uh, discussions. And our main ways of doing this was a series of international workshops. The first one was in 2018 in Auckland, the second one in Tokyo in 2019. And then we in 2020, we had a hybrid workshop in person in Suva and others joining uh, online because of the COVID situation. And because of the COVID situation, unfortunately, last year, we had to cancel our workshop, but we are going to have it in Wellington in October this year. And the topic will be climate security and peace building, challenges and opportunities across scales. And this working across scales, uh, we think, is of great importance because climate and security issues affect a village in, in Fiji, and it has an impact on the discussions in the UN Security Council in New York. And so 
trying to build the linkages between these different levels is one of our intentions. And in doing so, we try to pursue a holistic and relational approach to climate change and security. And we laid down this approach in our TODA Pacific Declaration on Climate Change, Conflict and Peace, which emerged out of the discussions in Auckland in 2018, and which in a way is the guideline for our work. And this declaration not only addressed more conventional topics in the field of climate security, like conflicts over land and scarce natural resources, or conflicts due to climate-induced displacement, or conflicts arising from poor environmental governance or poorly designed and implemented climate change adaptation and mitigation measures. But we also try to address the dimensions of the climate change security nexus, which so far have been widely ignored or underestimated in the international debate, such as cultural and spiritual aspects, gender, traditional customary law, and uh, traditional knowledge. We also try to organize some kind of a cross-cultural dialogue between people from the Pacific and uh, people from outside, a, a dialogue through engaging and sharing Pacific worldviews, knowledge systems, and integrating Western and Pacific ways of thinking. And of course, you can only do this in collaboration with partners in the Pacific. And we in particular collaborate with partners in Fiji, the NGO's Pacific Center for Peacebuilding, Transcend Oceania, but also the Pacific Conference of Churches and the Pacific Theological College. And we work together with Conciliation Resources, a peacebuilding NGO based in London and Melbourne. And with the colleagues from these different institutions, we have formed a network, TODA Climate Change Steering Committee, which meets regularly. And our more recent focus is climate change-induced mobility and conflict and security. And we have started a research project on that, case studies in Bougainville and Solomon Islands, but also looking at the diaspora communities in the Pacific Rim countries. As you know, there are relatively large diaspora communities in the US, Australia, New Zealand. And what we want to do is really policy-relevant research, and we want to provide evidence-based policy advice. So that's the main, main idea of our work in, in this uh, climate change peace and security work stream at, at the TODA Peace Institute. Thank you so much, Volker, for this uh, very interesting overview. I know we have limited time and you, you can always expand more, but you gave us a very, very brief and uh, comprehensive overview of your work. And I found particularly interesting, you know, the holistic approach and connecting the work on climate change and security issues from the ground level to the highest level, such as the UN Security Council. That's great work. And also everything you mentioned about your innovative work on climate change and, conf and conflicts. So the inclusion of the culture, spirituality, and the intercultural dialogue, it's uh, very interesting to know about that. <clears throat> Let me jump to our second question for today, and uh, it's regarding a blog you recently published. So in this blog about the latest IPCC report, 
you clearly state that there are no good news for Pacific Island countries. Can you please give us an overview of the latest climate-related predictions for the region and the possible implication on peace and security? It's a really important uh, report, this IPCC report on impacts, adaptation, vulnerability, because it shows that the effects of climate change are more severe than previously thought, that the situation will deteriorate globally faster than expected if no decisive action is taken now. And it highlights that low-lying island nations and islands will be hardest hit and be faced with truly existential threats. And this, of course, is bad news for Pacific Island island countries. And uh, the report lists a number of climate change effects that are particularly devastating for Pacific Island countries. For instance, with regard to water and uh, sanitation. So with increase of saltwater intrusion and freshwater shortages due to sea level rise and increasing risk of flooding, which puts water security under threat. Also, challenges to settlements and infrastructure threatened by cyclones, floods and inundation, or challenges to marine ecosystems and, and fisheries. And this all, all together challenges water and food security. And this is of a particular concern, I find. Warming temperatures, floods and droughts, cyclones, saltwater intrusion, damage to food gardens, loss of fish stocks, all this will put food security under pressure. And some of these threats also, when we look at food and water insecurity, can lead to conflict. And one has to take into account that some islands, in extreme cases, might become totally uninhabitable. Maybe even entire low-lying island nation-states, for instance, Tuvalu, will be not inhabitable any longer. We recently had an interview with Simon Kofi, the minister, a foreign minister of Tuvalu, and he, on the one hand, insisted on the right of the people of Tuvalu to stay on their islands, but on the other hand, he also recognized that there is need, so to speak, for a plan B to think about what happens if Tuvalu becomes uninhabitable or even is submerged by the sea. And so the Tuvalu government puts a lot of effort to maintain Tuvalu statehood and Tuvalu citizenship, its exclusive economic zone and so forth, intact even if the territory of Tuvalu gets lost. And of course, this poses immense challenges to the identity of people in the Pacific. And I found it very interesting in this context that the latest IPCC report also focuses on issues of mental health and mental health impacts of climate change. And indeed, for Pacific Islanders whose identity revolves around a strong connection to their lands, relocation due to climate change poses not only economic, political, social and legal challenges, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, cultural, mental and spiritual challenges. And one might even say that whole identity and their place ontological security is under threat. And this fundamental threat to ontological security, I think, deserves particular attention from a peace research perspective. And of course, there are also direct conflict-prone effects of climate change-induced migration, relocation, and displacement. And this is, as I said before, what we at TODA together with uh, our partners currently focusing on, on this 
link between climate change, climate change induced migration and security issues. Thank you for this uh, comprehensive overview of the climate related security risks. And of course, there are the most uh, obvious that we're facing now, such as food security and water security. But it's uh, good uh, that you mentioned also this uh, prediction, the stark prediction that can also lead to extreme cases such as, you know, disappearance of land, as you mentioned, and mental health, social cohesion. It's very sad, but interesting. And I think very important as well to starting analyzing this possible consequences on security linked to climate change. So thank you for that. My next question is, you already touched on that, but if you want to just uh, elaborate more or add a few sentences, is about one of the issues that you mentioned before, that is mentioned also in your blog. So as you mentioned, the climate-induced migration, relocation, and displacement are issues that need to be addressed. Of course, we the plan A is people can stay in their land as it should be. But as a plan B, maybe we can already talk about something around that. So can you please tell us more about uh, how climate-induced migration can impact the peace and stability of Pacific communities? Yeah, thank you. I think this is a very urgent question, in particular in the Pacific. And I think we have to differentiate between different types of climate change induced mobility, because they also then can lead to different types of security issues and uh, conflict. So you have a lot of already mobility migration in country and Pacific Island countries at the individual or family level. So people moving from rural areas to urban areas, or from outer islands to main islands. You also have international migration at the family and individual level to the Pacific Rim countries, as I mentioned before, New Zealand, Australia, the US. But increasingly, you also have forced displacement in the wake of natural disasters or relocation of entire communities, which is mainly in country these days. And when having a closer look at these different types of mobility, it seems like relocation of entire communities is particularly conflict prone. It can lead to intergroup conflicts between resettlers, people who have to move, and recipient communities. And this is why it's also so important to not only to look at the people who have to move, but also to look at the communities that have to uh, welcome them in their midst. And these intergroup conflicts revolve around scarce resources like land, water, fish, or access to public goods and economic opportunities like jobs in the formal economy or access to health and education facilities, or also identity issues when it comes to custom culture, history and and religion. But I think it would be a mistake to think that there is a direct causal relationship and that relocation in communities inevitably has to lead to conflict. You have examples for that, for example, in Bougainville and Solomon Islands, but you have to take into account that a host of other factors come into the the picture 
and in fragile situations or in situations that already had experienced violent conflict in the recent past where there is the danger of violent conflict escalation. And this is why Bougainville and Solomon Islands are of particular concern here. But this escalation takes mainly place where there is a lack of institutional and adaptive capacity and a lack of legitimacy and effectiveness of institutions of governance. And this is why I think that governance, good governance, good security and good climate governance is crucial to avoid conflict escalation in uh, these cases. And when you look at it, there are no big violent climate conflicts or climate wars in the Pacific. But what we have are conflicts in the local context at a relatively low level of intensity. And what we also have is everyday dispersed violence, such as domestic violence against women and children. And this everyday violence and these local low intensity violent conflict can be often linked to climate change induced migration, displacement and relocation. So I think it's necessary to look much more and much closer at the everyday and at the local level, because these forms of everyday and localized violence mostly remain under the radar of mainstream research. Take as a case in point, for example, the domestic violence in the overcrowded informal so-called squatter settlements in the few urban centers in Pacific Island countries. All these settlements are also often the sites of violence, sometimes deadly conflicts between communities from different islands. But finally, I also like to come back to what I said earlier about the holistic understanding of security. We have to keep in mind that, that livelihood loss, disease, food and water insecurity, what you might call the effects of climate change as structural violence, are more immediate and more pressing threats to people's lives than the danger of violent armed conflict. And so is the cultural and epistemological violence that comes with the effects of climate change, such as loss of connection to place, to land, and loss of knowledge. And these are the losses that can be really traumatic experiences for people who have to relocate because of the effects of climate change. Thank you so much, Volker. This was very interesting and a very deep reflection on the meaning of, or not the meaning, but uh, the different perception that security, peace, and conflicts can take especially in a context like the Pacific. Let's say a traditionally conflict-prone zone, such that there are no wars or uh, violent conflict per se, but it's very important to analyze the different aspects of conflict, change the approach, and uh, this reflection really give us a lot on that. And I hope our audience enjoyed, like I did, to listen to, to this answer. Thank you so much for that. And uh, let me just go quickly to our uh, last question for today. So how do you think development partners in the Pacific, like the U, like UNDP with this project, but more in general, even regional organization, can include the security dimension in climate actions? First of all, I think development partners have to understand that there can be fundamentally different understandings of security. What they think security is does not necessarily be, have to be identical with what 
Pacific Islander people think security is. You know that there are different concepts of security, national security, international security, common security, human security, ecological security. And what I have learned over the last years in dialogue with my partners from the Pacific is that their view of security not least has cultural and even spiritual di dimensions. So it would be a mistake to understand climate change security nexus and climate sensitive adaptation in merely secular terms. And climate change and adaptation programs and projects which are designed and implemented as secular endeavors miss a crucial dimension because these Climate change responses uh, at the technical, scientific, engineering level miss the spiritual and emotional dimensions of the problem at hand. And this is why the, the churches in the Pacific are so important. You know that most of the Pacific Islanders are devout Christians and they have this deep spirituality. And you have to take this into account when you design and try to implement climate adaptation projects or development projects more generally. So secular approaches which solely explain science to communities and impose foreign secular language and approaches upon them most probably will fail. Friend and colleague Upolu Lumavai from the Pacific Theological College says the search for climate change solutions must go beyond the the secular. And this even might lead to challenging a very progressive and far-reaching understanding of security like human security. Because in the light of the unprecedented dangers of climate change, a focus on human security as the security of human beings and human societies in isolation, as separated from the non-human rest of the world, the environment, the earth, will not suffice. Rather, this anthropocentric way of seeing the world and thinking about it has led to the mess uh, that we are currently in. So uh, I think you have to shift the approach from an, the development approach, the climate change adaptation approach from a human-centric to an earth-centric approach. Thank you so much, Volker. Great insights and uh, hopefully source of you know, inspiration for future development initiatives regarding climate change. I find it so interesting to consider not only the scientific dimension, which, as you said, is the base for every initiative nowadays. You know, we rely on that as evidence, which is essential. But um, I also agree on the importance of the spiritual and emotional aspect, especially here in the Pacific when designing and implementing initiatives. I'd just like to mention that we recently, as part of our project, Joint UN Project, IOM and UNDP, IOM implemented a pilot initiative in the Republic of the Marshall Islands. And it was uh, exactly about uh, emotional learning and, uh, let's say, address and prevent, you know, social conflicts within the communities due to the consequence of climate change. And this is a very interesting and innovative aspect that uh, was really successful and we're really looking forward to showcase the results and hopefully can inspire more initiatives like that. So thank you so much for that. I know I told you it was the last question, but I like to finish uh, the podcast episode asking our guests if they have a final message to our audience. 
if you miss something that you want to share or if you have any type of you know final message that you want uh, our audience to to hear you are welcome to do so just following from what i just said about the cultural and spiritual dimension of uh, climate security i think it's important that we overcome this dominant narrow western approach to climate change and security and and this also means to shift from a monocausal mechanistic thinking to relational thinking which allows to capture the complex and multifaceted relations and interactions between climate change conflict and and security so we have to, in a way, align Western ways of, of knowing and approaching things and alternative ways from the Pacific and, and elsewhere, so as to avoid a new colonial framing of the issues at hand. So what we try at the Toda Peace Institute is to build bridges here, and the Toda Pacific Declaration has a strong focus on weaving together, building linkages, nurturing cross-cultural dialogue, integrating Western and Pacific ways of thinking. And this also means that one has to overcome this one-size-fits-all approach and a too generalized assumption about the climate security nexus. So we at TODA are very strong advocates of in-depth, fine-grained ethnographic research which pays attention to the complexity of local context, the micro, the everyday that I, I mentioned before. We, we think that only this kind of very localized, fine-grained research then also can provide urgently sought-after recommendations for policy and practice and give concrete policy and strategic guidance uh, to policymakers and practitioners. And so this is what, what we try to do, TODA, to organize this cross-cultural dialogue, the co-production of knowledge and solutions. And so, as I said before, feeding the Pacific issues and approaches into the international climate security discourse, I think is very important because the other parts of the world have things to learn from the Pacific. And if you are interested in this, you can have a look at um, the TODA website, toda.org, toda.org, and go to, to the climate change section there. We publish policy briefs and we have a global a blog, global outlook with, issue, uh, with topics in this field of climate change, peace and security. And we also just started a series of public conversations. And there you can also find the TODA declaration that I mentioned before. Have a look at it and endorse it if you like. I think that's what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Julio. It, uh, it was great questions. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Volker, for this last message. Very powerful and very positive and very important. You know, like I really like this approach of building bridges and intercultural dialogue. And as we stress other episodes, the Pacific is at the forefront of climate change, uh, the consequences and the implication, but as well on the solution more of so the rest of the world can learn. And uh, it's really appreciate your message. Thank you so much, Volker, and this concludes our episode for today. Please stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.